Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Today I'm honored to visit with John H. Davis, an attorney who has written a book that really has a surprising title, What Do White Americans Want to Know About Black Americans But We're Afraid to Ask? That book title harkens back to a, a more provocative title that appeared back in the, I don't know, 60s or 70s. I welcome John Davis to the program. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Good opportunity to speak with you. I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with you. The title is kind of unusual, and uh, it, it does catch a lot of attention. When I first came out with it, I was told, wow, where did you come up with that? So it, it is provocative, I think. Well, it's not as provocative as the first book, Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex But We're Afraid to Ask. Okay. Uh, this one's right. not quite that provocative, but it right. is very interesting. Uh, in looking over your history, you are an attorney and also have a, a very diverse and interesting cultural background. Tell us about your personal history. Yes, um, and perhaps that might have been the seed uh, that was in me to prompt me um, in this later years to come up with a book like this. And I've written another one, and I guess I will continue. I wasn't planning to do a series, but I'm going to do that. And then again, because of my diverse background, I, I actually have, and I, I tell people occasionally, I said, you know, I have a mixture, a cultural ethnic mixture that um, is at least five different ethnicities within less than uh, three generations. I know some people say, well, you know, my great, 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 great. Well, no, my background uh, consists of, I'm just be brief uh, in reference to that, on my mother's side, uh, my uh, great-grandmother was born somewhere in India. And apparently she got together with my great-grandfather, who was Anglo from England. Uh, they uh, found their way to uh, the Caribbean. He had a plantation, or they owned a plantation in, in uh, Trinidad. So my grandmother was born in a place called Antigua and uh, raised in Trinidad. And she met my grandfather, and his ancestry comes from Spain. I found this out recently. Uh, and he was expelled uh, because he, it turns out just recently I, I found this out he was black but he was also Jewish and Queen Isabella I believe uh, when the Moors were uh, uh, when the Moors were uh, uh, conquered um, the Jewish people were uh, given an option to leave or uh, become a part of the society so his ancestry went to Venezuela and then eventually to Cuba, and then he spent a lot of his younger years in a place called, used to be called, I think it still is, British Guyana. And so he met my um, my grandmother, they married, moved to Panama, where my mother was born in a place called Cologne in Panama, and then they came to America. My mother met my father, who was Afro-American and Dakota Indian. <laughs> that's a that's a fabulous historical <laughs> cultural background. Right. I can only claim two or three cultures in my background, but that's fascinating. A lot of those places in the world I have traveled to, and they're they're beautiful people, mm -hmm. uh, and and certainly a colorful a historical past that you are drawing from. How did you come to write this book? What motivated you to put it together? Well, um, you know, over the years I've had the opportunity, as I said, I spent uh, a good number of years uh, in various places, uh, various areas of the country. I was raised and born and raised in New York City, uh, and then as a young adult left and then spent a considerable period of time in California. Well, during both of those places uh, and at the time, you know, I would get in conversations with people about the race problem and race issues and, and so on. And then I spent time in the South with my ex. Uh, uh, she was from Alabama, so I spent some time down there. So I spent more than just a, a vacation and tourist type of thing. So I got to really uh, know the people in that area. And again, I had an opportunity to talk to people, and conversations came up about race and ethnicity and prejudices and stereotypes. And little by little, I was gathering some materials, probably more mentally than anything else, and I started writing them down. 
So somebody suggested, why don't you do a book? You know, you seem to have a lot of background and knowledge. And I said, yes, I've read a lot of materials uh, in reference to uh, uh, ethnic problems and ethnicities and stereotypes and many of the, the, the groups, in fact, that I'm a part of, my, my roots. And uh, so uh, based on my research and, and based on my readings and my conversations and questioning uh, from, uh, of the individuals, I decided well, I'm going to put it down in, in, in a book form. And so I started writing the first book, and I'll tell you, the first book was, yeah, I guess I was intimidated. I had never written a book, so it dragged on and on and on. And finally, I said, you know what, if it's not, I, I, it, it may not be perfect in, other, in some ways, grammatically and otherwise, but I'm just going to get it out there. So I, 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 I got to a Libris and uh, went forward with it, and uh, that's my first book. I have another book out now. It's been out about oh, eight months, a little more, and that's titled... What do black Americans want to know about white Americans but afraid to ask? Interesting. As we visited prior to actually starting the recording, I mentioned to you some of the titles of your chapters were astounding to me. I, <laughs> I am not a person of color. Uh, in fact, I, I keep trying to uh, paint myself so I get a little darker. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I'm not blessed with, with a nice tan, but uh, I grew up in Canada, and some of the what I would call prejudices that are addressed in your book, I was shocked because I don't relate to them personally. But I'll read a couple of them just so folks will get an yeah. idea of the book and what it's about. Mm -hmm. One of your chapters deals with do blacks lack organizational skills? Uh -huh. uh, can mm -hmm. black people get sunburned? Okay. Uh, that's interesting. One that was kind of fascinating to me, at least gave me some education, was does soul food have nutritional value? And you go yeah. into the background of why soul food became a part of the culture and, and how it still lingers today. So there are right. a lot of interesting and provocative titles in here. And one of the chapters which I found to be hilarious, do all black people know how to dance? And of course we all know the answer to that. The answer is yes. The yeah. one that I found to be the most exciting and informative was... Chapter 17, where you outline some of the heroes of our culture that have been great innovators in science and in medicine. And everyone listed was a person of color. I loved reading about that. Tell us the origins of the phrase, the real McCoy. As an undereducated white guy, I just assumed that had to do with the Hatfields and McCoys and feuds. Elijah McCoy was an individual that um, came up with, well, let me preface that with this. Um, you know, before he uh, developed a, a system to keep machinery running, uh, machinery, particularly in manuf uh, large manufacturing, um, you know, a lot of the parts were steel and metal and so on. And after running the machinery for a while, the machines, uh, the parts would heat up. And so what had to be done is they had to close it down until it cooled off. Well, Elijah McCall came up with what was like a drip cup, and it uh, was... Uh, devised and made in such a way that it would be attached to these machine pots and it would drip oil continuously through the pots, through the metal pots, so therefore you didn't have to close it down. Well, interestingly enough, as that developed, a lot of uh, manufacturers, um, you know, opted and went in that direction and made sense. And uh, over the years, uh, the, the quote uh, became, is that the real McCoy? So when somebody was buying a machine or machine pots, they would want to know whether it had this device in it. And I, I believe after time, uh, people didn't realize or even forgot or didn't know that this was a black man that invented this thing. So over the years, people would say, is that the real McCoy? After a while, that became a saying uh, directed at a lot of things. You know, if you're buying something, you want to know if that's the real McCoy, if that's the authentic, actual uh, goods that I, I'm thinking on buying. So uh, Elijah McCoy was an interesting person, and he was a man of color, and he invented that um, that device. And so a lot of people don't know that even some black folks have read my book. They said, well, I didn't know that. They know some of the other items, but they didn't know that. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that that's something that I wanted to put in there because there's that thought that, um, you know, and there's still a stereotype um, that uh, not by everyone and not by every non-white uh, black person, uh, black people capable of doing scientific or handling scientific uh, material and thoughts and ideas. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to put that in. In fact, I want to uh, expand on the book. I want to do an expanded version because there's some other things that I didn't put in the book, like the Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, yes. And people, people thought that they weren't, uh, you know, didn't have a mind 
scientific enough to, or in, intellectual enough, or uh, intelligent enough to fly a plane. And Eleanor, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was a very good factor and supporter of them. In fact, when they uh, were finally allowed to participate in the Second World War and go abroad in Europe, they became escorts for um, bomber, uh, bomber pilots and bomber planes, and they did not lose one plane prior to their being escorted. Uh, I think a thousand planes were lost when they became mm. they they became the, what they was called the red tails. They put a red thing on that was their marker, and they lost several men during that uh, campaign, but uh, they never lost a bomber. And uh, at one time there were people, even some of the pilots, that said, "What we've been escorted by black folks," mm. and they used N word. But after a while, they were so uh, grateful that they they were able to get through the war because of these red tails escorting them to the bomb sites. That's why I put that in there about Elijah McCoy. There are some wonderful highlights that you do make about not only science but also medicine. I loved the tale of Daniel Hale Williams, who was the first individual of color that was a doctor and performed open-heart surgery that was successful. There are some some wonderful individuals in here, a lot of them from the 1800s and early 1900s that were inventors and trailblazers who laid the groundwork, provided the foundation for the success of many today. John, in looking at your history, your cultural background, which of those do you identify with the most? Uh, you know, that's a good question, and I, I, I kind of been toying with it off and on over the years, and since I've come out with books and another book, I know that that question is going to come up. I was raised predominantly, as far as the, the cultural uh, area of, of, of ethnicities, I was raised in a black community. So I, you know, uh, psychologically, I guess I lean in the direction of my father's uh, uh, race and that he was uh, Afro-American. Um, but again, I don't want to leave out, and I, I feel it's necessary for people, particularly when they're mixed, to acknowledge, not to leave one out, the other out, acknowledge all of the ethnicities. Because, you know, my, 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 my thought, my passion is to hope that I can open up some minds. I don't think I'm going to change the world, but we're, we're so mixed. And even if we want mixed, we're all homo sapiens. We all uh, live on this planet. And we have to learn about one another, and that way we can move some of those prejudices and those stereotypes aside. Once we know someone, uh, we realize that, hey, this person is not, I can't just put them in this box because they are black or they are Hispanic or they're uh, European and they're Caucasian, they're German, they're not Hitler because they're German, they're not, when they're Italians, with the second book that I came out with, the stereotypes against white individuals, all Italians are not mafiosa. In fact, I, I, I researched the word, and, and uh, I won't go into the, 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 the where that word comes from, but it doesn't come from criminality. And I've had people ask me about the second book, well, where does it come from? And I laugh, and I say, ha, ha, listen, I did the research. You buy the book. And then, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty sneaky. I, I, <laughs> but uh, a book, I'm sure I would enjoy reading that as well. Um, mm-hmm. what, how much time did it take you to put the research together and, and develop this book? Um, that that uh, you know is not a very very large book as you know 100 and some odd pages. It literally took me about eight years. The second book about seven months. Uh, and I guess part of it was that I was a little intimidated. I hadn't written a book and I kept looking at it and I put it down and I go back to it and I said, oh, this is awful. And I go back and after a while I got to the point I said, you know what the heck with this? I'm going to just finish it up and let it go. But one of the things that held me up was the last chapter, and I wrote about um, Willie Lynch. I don't know how many people are familiar with the name. There was a person, an Anglo person, who owned a plantation in the Caribbean. He devised a method he felt that was a surefire way of controlling your slaves. And he uh, was invited by slave owners in the South to come and, and present his program to them. And he said that if this program is implemented properly, it will keep you from worrying about your slaves doing a Nat Turner or attacking you in the big house, and you don't have to worry about it. And what I say to blacks and whites that that, that programming uh, that was implemented uh, to on slaves is still uh, prevalent today. And I, I share that with some black people. I said, you know, we still have the characteristics of that program. And, 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 I, and how I uh, justified that, I said, well, you take Second World War, prisoners of war, 
some of them were indoctrinated. Uh, they were they were uh, either starved or they uh, sleep depri- deprivation, and they caused them to make tapes uh, criticizing America. Well, you know, you you take that for maybe a month, a year, two years, and see how a pers- person can be programmed in a certain way. But what about 300 years? When you take 300 years of programming, uh, it's not going to uh, dissipate overnight. And and I say to people that the Chinese or uh, any uh, the French were brought over here as slaves and 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 enslaved for 300 years and 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 programmed to feel themselves to be inferior to the master to to the slave owner that same characteristics will still be in their in in their in their genes today and it's just taken a while for even blacks to step up and feel that they're 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 equal and they're not inferior and it doesn't make them inferior it just means that they've been programmed so long that it's hard for them to break it and then the reverse of that is that anglos have been similarly programmed to feel because there was an old saying that uh, one used to say years ago, I'm, I'm free, white, and 21. Well, you know, why free and why white? Why was that a criteria that somebody wanted to boast about? Right. Well, but that was the thing. So you see, when we stop and think about some of the things we say and some of the things that are in us subconsciously and even consciously, then we realize why we have stereotypes and racism and all and then we don't have to accept everyone because there's some nerds and jerks in every group yeah, that's the truth stop looking at people as individuals and saying you know what i'm not going to just label this person because of the skin color of their their culture or their ethnicity i want to get to know and once you know someone and you you open your eyes to them you may not change overnight and you and, you, and I, I tell my readers don't beat upon yourself if you got a bias so what we all been programmed but at least we begin to understand one another. And the only way we can understand one another is to learn about one another, to read about one another, and say, wow, I didn't know that black folks contributed in this manner. And I didn't know black... And same with my second book, What the Contributions of White Individuals. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. In the Irish group, the Kennedys gave three sons to the, to the, to the country. Absolutely. You know, by so we have to know that. And then when we know these things, then we start looking at people in a different way. And, and that's my passion. Chapter 27, which is the uh, chapter you referred to, was really a reference back to the 1700s, but yes. it's a very tough chapter to read. I'm glad you included it as the last chapter in your book. I don't think I would have been uh, had, the, had the courage to continue reading the rest of the chapters or the rest of the book if I had read that first. So thank you. In spite of that, thank you for for including it, because it does open our eyes to some of the remarkable history that's in our past, not only my past, but also yours and your family's history, and how we've uh, come to this point in in our uh, development. Where do we get copies of this book? Well, Ex uh, Ex Libris has copies of them. Um, I believe there's a number there that can be uh, called, and they would ship and send. Also, uh, uh, Amazon.com should have some and can be ordered through them through the Internet. And additionally, from Bonds & Noble. Bonds & Noble, they carry it for a while, and they probably would still order it if somebody wanted to get it. Uh, they could call Bonds & Noble and say, hey, listen, I want this book. And if they don't carry it in the store, uh, they certainly would be you know, glad to uh, you know, uh, bring it in and and for that person, I did sit, do several book signings with Bonds and Noble here in the Midwest and Borders too before they went out of business. And so I'm hoping my book wasn't a thing that drove them out of business. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I absolutely doubt it. Uh, the title of the book again is "What Do White Americans Want to Know About Black Americans But Were Afraid to Ask?" Our author, John H. Davis. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you so much. My privilege and my pleasure. Look forward to hearing from you in the future. Uh, The other book that's been released, hope we get a chance to visit about that as well. Yes, thank you. Look forward to that also. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station.
Beatles, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Provocative title, the book today, The Kiss. And our author, Camelia Rose. Camelia, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. Your book is designed specifically to be a short read, 103 pages. This is not the first book that you've written. What was the genesis of putting this book together, The Kiss? Uh, I had read Alfreda Yelinex's erotic novel, The Piano Teacher, and I decided as a subject to use the sadomasochism and then, of course, I had to have an object, and so I chose a champagne glass. And then uh, I had a pro telling me I should have what is called a, a hot button issue to make it really interesting for the, read, uh, for the listeners. And so I chose the gay movement, because this is a global issue. And uh, so I created a prominent gay character in my book called Gorgeous Adam. And that was your first book or your second? No, this was actually my third book. Your third book. Yeah. And this book, the title, The Kiss, what was behind the story there? The story behind is, of course, that Janine Pinchpenny returned to her home turf, and she has put up on her bedroom wall a, paint, a print of a painting by Gustav Klimt, The Kiss. And this, of course, The Kiss, this was for her the star bondage chain devotion subject or object for, uh, for Jane Pinchpenny because she just uh, 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 her life was just put around to this, this, this kiss this, this print mm-hmm. and this kiss that took place happened in her early life and now she is a 60 year old lady longing for the past yes yes and so she returns home and then of course she finds out that um uh, her ex-husband, who lives nearby, uh, is stalking her. And so she gets in, uh, asked uh, as security services, outsmart services, to check up the uh, census security people who have her, um, who have her covered. And um, then from, from then on, the, uh, the story develops in uh, um, actually a comedy, and the, the, the guy who gives her the key to the, to, the, to the studio of the second wife of her ex-husband, who is a painter, and his name is then Testosterone Bill. Testosterone Bill, a unique name. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, <laughs> I have been around, and I know that the younger guys really like the older, older ladies, mm-hmm. and they have a very good relationship. All right. And the book that you've written here, The Kiss, who's your target audience? Who's going to read this? Who do you think will find it of interest? Uh, so far from what I know, it is the men who like about the sex that is discussed in the book because the, the painter, uh, Elizabeth um, Pinchpenny, uh, all her subjects, painting subjects, are, has to do with sex. 
So the ladies, they like to have the plotting and the, the gossip in the book because you have to satisfy both, both readers. Because it's a short book, your target audience is those who are in a hurry and want to get to the point on, on reading a story. Yes, it's an airport read. Airport read. Mm-hmm. And the process of writing your book, you say this is your third or fourth book. Uh, how long uh, did it take? Well, actually, I had written a large book, uh, a saga, and it was like 1,100 manuscript, manuscript pages. And uh, a pro said to me, uh, you should really start your career as a writer with writing an airport read, a novella. So that is, and since I had read Alfreda Yearly Nexus novel, I decided to start on that subject. And uh, then the second one was she had to plan. That was what my pro said. It should be a, a redemption story because Americans like redemption stories. Then the third book is really a, a, a saga, the invention of religion, how a family is creating a newer religion. And that's 707 pages. And the fourth book is, I'm still working on has to do about Neolithic culinary delights. You certainly have an imagination, uh, obviously, and uh, very talented at putting together a diverse area of subjects. This one in particular, and I will disclose this to the audience if you don't mind, you're over 50 years old. Yes. We That's almost, why I was able to write this book, because <laughs> I think if being younger, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, and I won't say how, how much older than 50, but I'm older than 50, and you're a little bit older than I am. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm amazed at your talent. Uh, was there any self-discovery in this book, or was it all just reflection back on your past and uh, putting no, some of those was, ideas together? Yes, well, I have traveled a great deal, so I meet a lot of people, and I have found out one thing, that there's a lot of people... They are uh, prisoners of their own uh, of their own doing, and uh, they could get out of it if they use their imagination a lot. Because uh, Albert Einstein said that um, logic can bring you from A to B, but imagination can take you everywhere. You had also grown up during World War II and had some challenges there. Tell me about those. Yeah, I was uh, born in the Dutch East Indies. And when the uh, World War II broke out, uh, my mother and my brother and and I, we spent our, uh, those war years in in Japanese concentration camps in Java. And that was, of course, a very bad experience. You survived that and became a writer, or became a world traveler, then a writer. Well, we, we went back to the Netherlands, that is what we originally were, but my mother is Viennese, and so I was brought up partly in Vienna and then in the Netherlands, and then my father had died in World War II, and my mother had remarried, and so then we moved from the Netherlands over to here, we immigrated. How would you introduce this book, The Kiss, to someone? Uh, it is basically uh, a comedy with uh, a champagne glass, a mysteriously missing champagne glass from a painter studio. And that is where the, uh, uh, the story develops, because this glass brings two women together and forces them to exchange their life stories, which is the first wife and the second wife. They have to face each other. Is this the main scene that you would point people to if they were going to put this into a series or into a story that was telecast? Um, yes. Uh, because this is my life. Everybody <laughs> is interested in this is my life. How would you introduce this book to someone? It is a comedy, and what I want to happen is when they finish the book is that they smile. That is all, because uh, it was meant to be uh, a short book, and short books should be a smiley book. Excellent goal, excellent goal. There are other books out in the marketplace that are short novellas, short books. Why is this one different? What makes it well, different? As, as I said, the hot-button issue was the gay movement. So there's a lot of gay characters in my book, and they play quite a big role in society. And as you know, uh, the uh, Russians consider homosexuality a non-traditional orientation, and uh, Putin just said that Elton John is welcome in Russia. <laughs> That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah, and the Sochi now games coming over, and President Obama is sending two uh, homosexual uh, athletes over. 
<laughs> so actually, the the book there's quite about forty percent of them are gay gay characters. And was there anything else that was challenging about putting this book together? Do you think? Uh, challenging? No, actually not, because I enjoyed it. Uh, the only thing was I had to make sure to do the plotting and the planning, and uh, to satisfy the women, because most of them are not interested in that sex in the sex uh, scenes is to have the gossip, especially there's a gossip of neighborhood gossip that can be very, very dangerous when neighbors start gossiping about each other. And I, I included that. Do you personally journal? Do you keep track of uh, daily activities or daily things that interest you in your world? Oh, yes. I read about 10 international newspapers online. 10 of them? Yeah. And which is your favorite? National Post Canada. National Post Canada. Well, I'm Canadian, so I need to find that one and read it myself. <laughs> they are very, very good, yes. And then, of course, I read some uh, German ones and Dutch ones and English. And uh, Most of the countries have English edition newspapers, like the Jakarta Post, the, the, the New Delhi Times, uh, the Singapore Times, and Gulf News and Arab News and today's the man of Turkey. So I get the, quite a good uh, view of what is going on in the world and what interests people. And I know one thing about my book. It is definitely going to be banned from the Muslim countries because there's so much homosexuality in there. Most writers are in, uh, in search or hoping to get a Pulitzer Prize for their work. Is there any professional goal that you have as a, a writer? Um, I'm writing for fun. You may say, kill my time, but uh, I would like to also use my knowledge and, and instruct through the books of what I know, and I hope to perpetuate this for the next generation. What's the main themes that you want people to take from reading this book, besides fun? To have a fun? good time, in this book, to have a good time, and to, have, um, to, to understand that the gays, because I'm, uh, I live in my uh, street, there's a lot of gays, that they're very, very nice people. The title of the book is The Kiss, and our author is Camelia Rose. Camelia, where do we get copies of your book? Um, you can get copies of uh, my book, uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BookstoreXLibris.com, and my website, CameliaRose.net. All my books are in there. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story and your history. Uh, enjoyed visiting with you. Goodbye. Goodbye. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. On today's segment, I have the honor of introducing you to perhaps the world's youngest published poet, Rayan Abdul Baki. He has written a book titled Words from the Sky, and at his young age, has accomplished more than most of us have in a lifetime. Rian, welcome to the program. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing well. And the unique thing about our author today is that he is still a student. Rian, tell us where you are and what you are pursuing at the moment. Uh, I'm currently in Kuwait. I'm a student in the, at the British School of Kuwait. Uh, 
I'm, I'm currently full of, uh, my life is full of theater, poetry, and studies, and every day, every Monday, I add on to that inspiration in my book, because that's basically my whole life. I want to point my readers to a happy world someday. Rayon, even though you are just 14, you have accomplished a great deal already in your life, having written this book yes, and gotten it published. Like for example, my my age is quite like quite full of like uh, enjoying enjoying the wide world last because teenagers are always uh, enjoy going to malls, being with friends, having teens. Like I'm not your typical teen. I'm the one who uh, is always interested in pointing the readers to a heavenly world to avoid that inspirational starved world and avoid. You have poems that are titled such as Peace, Our Inner Selves, Inspiration, Happiness, Modesty. Tell me what inspired you to become a poet and publish your work. Well, my motivation was to make a difference, to inspire people for the better, to point readers toward my lofty dream of a heavenly world taking place one day, for inspiration, for happiness, for world peace, for love, for, for everything that's, that's good in our lives. Because as being a Lebanese for myself, if, if that's not an offense to, to, my, to my own origin, peace is not, is not like a common thing you see conflict occurring every day, and that's something that saddens, saddens myself. Um, the list is practically endless because I'm aiming, I'm aiming, I'm aiming for a heavenly world that is bound to take place one day, completely free of conflict. Because I'm trying to also reinforce the fact that although our outer self is wearing away, our inner self is being renewed every day for better decisions and for a better life, a unique self reborn. Do you have some of your poetry or one of your poems that you'd like to share with us this morning? Definitely. I would like to recite a poem called Peace, and it's my favorite out of the the whole lot because it really, really shows my flaming curiosity to to make the the world a better place. And then I would like to recite another poem called Curiosity. I will will recite Peace right now. I've always wanted a world where conflict doesn't exist, where smiles are your gold, where peace will persist. Where love is your jewelry, where hugs are in fashion, where only good memories exist in my diary after a day full of satisfaction. Excellent. And furthermore, as part of my background, I'm not only a poet or a peace advocate. I'm also a actor, and uh, I part- I'm participating in a lot of theatrical endeavors in my country, in Kuwait over here, such as the British Academy for International Arts and One World's Actors Center. And my, the origins of my flaming curiosity to begin writing poetry was when I participated in a musical version in my school of Alice in Wonderland. And the flaming curiosity in this character to discover everything inspired me to write, to point readers towards, towards a heavenly world and to show people how that conflict is not, is not who we were based on. We were based on to make peace, to, to be really good with each other. So I'll recite a poem called Curiosity, and it is dedicated to Lewis Carroll himself because he was the reason I got inspired to, to become to become an inspirational poet. Deep inside, in my blood, is a sense of pride and curiosity. Naturally, I wouldn't stop until I've discovered the world. My mind will gradually mold, but for now, deep inside, in is a sense of pride and curiosity. I'd fall down an endless I'd walk upside down and dwell. I'd enter a house I've never been before. I'd attend pointless trials that bore. Well, I'd run for miles to and fro. All through curiosity. Curiosity may have killed the cat, but be aware that's not a fact. Although we may not admit it all, it's the info began at all. That is why I'm pleased to know and understand. Maybe you'll discover something new. And I'll assure you firsthand that it's my dream to come true. Your other dream is to become the first recognized published poet with the Guinness World mm, Record first, folks. Have you already achieved yeah. that? I haven't achieved that yet. However, because like I'm I'm 14 years old and I'm I'm a teen telling a story that telling telling a story that is hoping to be told one day by many people. I hope uh, to be to be accomplished as the youngest published poet yet, and I hope it is true. And I hope Guinness World Records recognizing for it. It is it is part of my dreams, but the main reason I wrote this poetry book is not to become a record breaker, however, to you know to change the world 
because my poetry is dedicated to changing the world one poem at a time. That's my life. That's my that's my branding statement. That's who I am. My I am a person trying to change the world to create inspiration in people's eyes because I'm not pleased with the conflict that's occurring in our world today and I hope my poetry makes a difference. I'm sure it will. It's very I would say very advanced for someone of your age. You also have an interest in music. Are you still involved in the music pursuits? In music? Are you involved in music? Uh, I am, uh, yes, sir, I am. In fact, like, I'm working with uh, a special a special friend of mine who, is, who wants to create my poetry into, into music. And also, I'm also, as part of the theatrical, theatrical program, I want to make my book into a play. And uh, I want to entitle it as My Scar because the angel, uh, the angel on the cover of my book is, I entitled it, I entitled her as Sky because like from the title, Words from the Sky, although it means like words from God, I also mean like that angel is trying to, like it's a symbol of my life because she's the person who's trying to send all these messages to everyone. And My Sky, the musical, I hope, uh, I hope I can write it one day, but because I'm also working with many people who have been in my feature programs, such as in Baia and uh, in One World uh, over here in Kuwait. And I hope they can help make my dreams a reality. And my poems have been discovered that they can be made into beautiful songs. For example, the last one, entitled Space. It's written in song format, actually, not in poetry format. And that is something I hope to accomplish one day. Rayanne, besides future goals, what have others said about your poetry? It's my my writing is like has been uh, criticized by many people as being unique and such as readers' favorite. They said, for example, my one of my poems, Hope, they and Dreams. They said it's it's really good for its dream equality and and they're really surprised how uh, an age like for example, Kirkus also said that a person of my age how they really could develop into one of the most impressive poets of the future. Like, my work could translate into impressive poetry one day in the future, and that's something that really motivated me for to do better in my life. Aside, aside from my book, I'm also writing even more poetry, which I hope to be part of a sequel, because, entitled Onwards, because Words from the Sky is not only a book, it's also a particular book of a series I hope to write out of five books. And when I recite the title to, to, to you, you will notice that it's like a step ladder towards heaven, and or otherwise a heavenly world on earth here. The first book is already published, Word from the Sky. The second book is I hope to publish is Onwards. The third book I hope to publish is called Another Try. Fourth book I would like to publish is called Last Virtue. And the fifth book is called Rewarded. And that's basically after those five books, I hope I will be recognized as someone who is leading the world to a wonderful, wonderful place one day. And furthermore, a poem I wrote recently entitled Eyes of Light. Eyes of Light is basically my, my, think, my, thanks, my thanks to poetry itself. And I will recite it now. If you, when, I, when you listen to it, you might think it's to a beloved person, but it, it's, it's actually not. If you go beyond surface level, it's actually a, a, a vote of thanks to poetry itself. Because poetry is the art of expression when expressionless. But soft, shine bright, thy eyes of light. Enchanted pride, thy eyes of light. Concise yet sweet, thy eyes of light. My love for thee to fight. Wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied? Such a look upon that heavenly sight. But tell me, how is it that you do your magic, that air, that beautiful blessing, and in me of despair? How do you love? How do you see? How do I defy those eyes of glee? What is I seek power by cover of that heavenly sight eyes of light? Beautifully stated, and your work is remarkable, obviously, but is there a particular theme or an idea that you'd like readers to take away from your work? Upon closing the book, hearts full of love should be inspiring and pointing people towards creating not just mine, but everyone's lofty dream of creating the heavenly world. Because one of the themes of my book is inspiration, is inspiration, but also it's also like it's also to dream, to dream and develop, to develop self-awareness. How and although although my poetry might make people feel guilty because of the conflict occurring every day, however, 
as you said, it is remarkable. However, people, upon closing the book, they should already be inspired to stop stop the conflict they're causing every day and to aim to aim for peace. Because happiness to glory, from glory to perfection, perfection lights a life story, a story of satisfaction. Happiness out of all emotions should be the guide to correct. Because happiness and basically positive emotions should come out of the book because it's basically my book is a message. It's a message. And words from the sky is basically implicitly a message. A message from God messages from God. And these messages should develop into into statements to tell people to avoid conflict occurring every day. Because God has once created the heavenly word as a gift and as a test. A test to find out if it will work enough to have such a world. We might have failed a bit, however, it's not too late to change. We can do this. I am a peace advocate, however, what I'm trying to say is, let's prove ourselves worthy and recreate our gift. Again, where it will only happen once. Because this inspirational book contains words of love and peace, which enhance a person's life and soul upon reading. Because when I briefly a poem about God, I express him as the Savior and Guardian, who cures people's dismays and brightens our lives. Its main purpose is to deposit the fact that although our, although our outer selves are wearing away, our inner selves are being renewed every day in hope for a better life and a better future. Because just remember, it's a gift so rare, it will only happen once. Your book is unique just in the fact that it was written by a young person. What other things about your book sets it apart from other poetry in the marketplace? Aside from poetry, this book it has a set purpose into into like I'd like to think thank God and thank my parents for everything they have done to help me publish this book because it's something that has been stood in my in my manuscript drawer for many years until I was finally ready for people to hear my voice. And one word out of the entire book stands out because it does not really come from the sky unlike its siblings from the all the other poems. It's so so beautiful and so so kind. And it is my mom. And um I'll recite the poem I dedicate to her. My savior, my guardian, my doctor, my lawyer, my role model. My lover, my terror, my wonderland, my mother. A soul so beautiful, a soul so kind, a soul so careful, an extraordinary mind. From when our eyes met, till our gravestones, my heart has never left its position with yours. Beautifully put. Absolutely beautiful. Is there anything about putting your first book together that was challenging? Oh, yes. The most challenging factor about this book is when I was trying to match, when, when I was trying to match the implicit inspiration behind these poems to the level of interests of today's generation. Because, as I said, I'm uh, not your typical teen. I am a teen who's trying to change the world. When other teens, yeah, you might see every day, are are most interested in what's happening in today's match or what is uh, the latest film that's occurring in the features. However, I'm a person who's trying to. I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of these young generations, but I'm trying to change the world. So this was the most challenging part to to match these poems to the level of interest of today's generation. However, it was so rewarding when one of my poems entitled "Peace" received constructive yet positive criticism, which I was eternally grateful for. After being shared by Slebers through their social media, an excellent surprise. And I would like to quote some of them. One was written by Janice Driggers, written. Uh, and the and the and the comment was this teenager gets it well done, and another one called Krishi Kaur wrote it's a very good poem. And furthermore, furthermore, I have received many positive criticisms about my poem dedicated to my mother, which I recited with, uh, in a few. And it was hilarious how the language of this generation has become to people calling me deep, and it was quite hilarious. However, sensible people of my age and even younger praise my poem. To, the, to its deepness and even began to cry of joy and already began feeling the soothing medicine of inspiration. Rayanne, it's exceptional and unusual what has happened in your short writing career. Excellent. You've done a wonderful job on this book. The title of the book, again, is Words from the Sky. The author, currently 15 years of age, is Rayanne Abdubaki. Rayanne, where do we get copies of your book? You can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, on my on my website, uh, the Clebus Bookstore, and hopefully one day, if I, if a traditional publisher would like to publish my book and become and hopefully I would uh, become famous one day, 
um, I started putting bookstores. However, uh, opening my name simply, uh, Rayan Abdelbaki, or alongside my the title of my book, you can find wondrous other bookstores internationally, such as Google Books, Kobo, because it's also available in ebook form uh, on Kindle um, and probably on Apple as well. It's available in hardback, paperback, and ebook. And simply googling my name, you'll be able to find all the all the other also the other releases that were written by me by Bohofen Group and um, all the places my book is available. Rayon, tell our listeners where they can also access your blog. Yes, it is. I have a blog on Blogger. The title is my name. However, um, it also expresses all the other other writings I do every day because basically my my online format of expressing my my messages that I did not include in my book. Uh, I also write creative stuff in there and inspirational messages and quotes, for example, that I've came up with, such as poetry, the art of expression when expressionless, or do not think, do not speak, just write. I think that everything that I come up with every day, I just immediately blog it to spread my message, and I hope to gain followers on that. Thank you for an inspiring interview. The correct spelling of Rianne Abdul-Baki is R-A-Y-A-N. Second name, A-B-D-U-L hyphen B-A-K-I. And that's the best way to get a hold of Rayan. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and for providing a remarkable interview. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Best of luck in the future. We hope to hear from you again. Thank you, sir. I hope to speak with you again one day. Thank you, sir, for a wonderful interview. Thank you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.